Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson. It is from the book of Acts. As we continue our series, we're picking up chapter 15 this week. And starting with verse 1, listen now to the Word of God. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. And so they were sent on their way by the church, and they, as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, my brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, He has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And the whole assembly kept silence and listened to Paul, Barnabas and Paul as they told all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. And this agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, the dwelling that has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it, and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known for the, from these from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city, for generations past, Moses has had those, those who proclaim him 
for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Once again, all who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 11th chapter, beginning with the 28th verse. These are the words of Jesus. In the previous reading, we heard Peter speak of a yoke that, uh, our, that his ancestors nor those living were able to bear, and now Jesus is speaking of a yoke. Listen to God's Word. Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Will you pray with me, please? The Lord, here we are again. We are your people gathered in, in your house ready to hear your word speak to our lives so illumine our minds open our hearts by the presence and the power of your holy spirit that hearing and understanding and receiving we may then live out the word that you know that we need to hear today each one individually as a community of faith a body of believers it's our joy to know you love you and serve you in the name of christ we pray amen why do you come to church why are you a member of a church? Or why don't you come to church, we could ask. And why are you not a member of a church? The truth is we all come to church or do not come to church for a multitude of reasons. Some of us come out of habit, we would say. It's what I've always done. It's how I was raised. My parents brought me to church. I strayed during college. When I got a little older, started having kids, I came back to church, and now I've got my kids coming to church. It's just what we do. Others may say, I come to church because I'm looking for something. I'm looking for a place to belong. I'm looking for a place to feel valued and to find value in my life, to feel needed, to know that I'm not alone. I'm looking for something larger than myself. I'm looking for purpose and meaning in my life. That's why I come to church. And others come to church because maybe they want to raise their standing in the community. Or it used to be that way that you would come to church. If you're going to be seen at the top of your profession and a good person, it was part of the equation that going to church was good business. Still others come because my parents made me. Some come to see their friends, others to hear the organ and the choir. Some know that we serve really good food at church, or I've got a great Sunday school class, or others may try to flatter or impress the pastor and say, of course I come for the sermon. Why is it that people don't come to church? Well, it's the only time I can find any peace and quiet during my busy week. I want to sleep in. I had a bad experience in church when I was young, and I just once bitten, twice shy. Others may say it's boring. 
Others may say it's full of, the church is full of hypocrites. Say one thing and do another. The church is a place where all they talk about is money. Church is a place that makes me feel guilty. I don't want to be loaded up with any more rules and regulations in my life. I don't want to be threatened with hellfire and damnation. I don't need anybody telling me what I can and can't do. I'm a free person, and it's a free country. I don't go to church because I don't want to hear about what people are against, which seems like that's all the church talks about instead of what the church is for. And really all they want to do in church is, is fuss and fight and bicker over everything from the style of music to the color of the carpet or whether you can bring coffee into the sanctuary. But the bickering, the disagreement, could be said of the situation in the early church. They were not debating, though, over carpet color or guitars versus organ. They, in the process of trying to define this growing Christian community that has identified the Messiah as Jesus Christ, the crucified and the risen one, we find here in this chapter in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, the question of whether the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah, Lord, and Savior, whether they are to be subjected to the laws of Moses, the Jewish laws. And are they required to fulfill those laws by becoming circumcised before they can be saved? and considered full members of the community. Of course, this idea of the covenant and of keeping the law goes back to God's covenant that was made with Abraham, if we go back all the way to Genesis, because it was the covenant that God made with Abraham when He called him out of his father's land to follow him, to show him a promised land and make him a blessed people. God said to Abraham, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you. I will make you great. You will be the father of many nations. You will be a nation of priests. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then God said to Abraham, and the sign of this covenant will be circumcision. And so we remember from our Old Testament Judeo roots that Abraham was circumcised, even in his old age, a senior citizen, 99 years old, we are told, when Abraham observed this mandate, this covenant. And God went on to say that your, your young offspring will be circumcised on the eighth day. Remember, it was who that was taken to the temple by his parents, Mary and Joseph, and was circumcised on the eighth day, Jesus? And the covenant also says that all of those who come into your house will be circumcised, even the foreigners that join your community as well as your offspring. Genesis 17.14 says that any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Any questions? So it's understandable that we read in Acts 15 that as the gospel spreads now to the Gentile world, to the non-Jews, by Paul and Barnabas and Peter, by the, the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit, 
that, that as this message is taking hold of the Messiah who has come in Jesus, it is being received with eager and enthusiastic, grateful and joyful responses by the people. And those beyond the Jewish family are coming into the family. And if we think about it, here we see that the covenant with Abraham, the, what God said would happen through Abraham, is now indeed happening through the covenant that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because what the law sought to achieve through the Jews, they were not able to complete. And so God, in His gracious and sovereign design, sent Jesus to be the fulfillment of the new covenant. And so here we see that the covenant is being realized in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit because the, the gospel, the message of God's love and faithfulness is being spread to Jerusalem, to, to Judea, to Samaria, to all nations, to the end of the earth, what Jesus Himself said to His disciples, Go ye therefore into all the world, preaching, teaching, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I am with you always to the end of the age. And here it is coming to pass in Jesus Christ. And so is success is being enjoyed, Paul and Barnabas are now being told that believers must be circumcised to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas, upon hearing this word, what do they do after their first missionary journey? They go from Antioch down to Jerusalem to report to the elders, to hear from the apostles, to go seek a word from the authority of the early church that resided there in Jerusalem to settle this dispute. They go to the authority. And as they go, they go with joy, and they're telling others about what God is doing. And as they get to Jerusalem, we read, they are received with joy by the church there. And then those in the party of the Pharisees, the Scripture says, rose up and said, they must all be circumcised to keep the law of Moses. And in verse 7 of chapter 15, it says that there was much discussion there was a lot of debate going on in the council that was there in Jerusalem. They were having healthy conversation. And in the midst of their back and forth, their debating and discussing, Peter speaks. And he reminds his brothers and sisters, I would like to say, of what happened to him. In his experience with Cornelius, when he received the vision and he was told that what God has created, of that nothing is unclean. And he went to the house of Cornelius where God was already at work. And Peter had a revelation of the activity and the call of God and experienced the Holy Spirit falling on those Gentiles in the same manner it had fallen upon the apostles at Pentecost. And Peter spoke and reminded them that God chose the Gentiles to receive the Word of God and to believe. God knows the heart. God gave them the Holy Spirit just like He gave it to us. God makes no distinction between us and them. God has cleansed their hearts 
And then Peter says this, Why are you placing the yoke of the law on the hearts of these Gentiles? The same yoke that was placed on our fathers and mothers that they nor we have been able to bear. You're asking of them what we nor they were able to do by keeping this law. But we believe, Peter goes on to say, we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. And after Peter spoke, the Scriptures say that the whole room fell silent. You know when you're in a conversation or a debate or a discussion with someone and something is said that is beyond those who are engaged in the dialogue, and you realize it's more than us. And everything got quiet. There was nothing else to say. This is what the truth is about, is about grace. A grace that can leave us silent this grace that is so amazing because it is unearned, it is unmerited. There is nothing that we can do or nothing that we have done that can remove us from that grace. It is a gift that we receive with gratitude from a sovereign and generous, forgiving and loving God. And when we hear the news of this gospel of grace, Absolutely, we say, how sweet that sounds. Wow. Th that's what I need. That's what I'm looking for. I don't need another weight to carry. I don't need another yoke to struggle under. I don't need another rule or regulation or statute to follow. I need to know that I am fully known. Yes, that God sees me and knows me better than I know myself and that I am found wanting and that I am marred by sin, but I am still received by grace, freed and forgiven. Yes, I'm trying to do my best, and I know that I beat myself up pretty good when I fall, but I don't always need to be shown or reminded of how I fall short. But despite all of this, I know that my Redeemer lives and loves and accepts and forgives me. And Paul would write about this grace in his letters to the churches where those would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians, the second chapter, it says these words that are familiar to so many of us and powerful and true, you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift so that none of us should boast. Paul and Barnabas in our text this morning go on to relay all that God was doing through and among the Gentiles. And when everyone had finished speaking and had heard their revelations and 
their shared experiences. James was the leader of the Jerusalem church speaks up. And when he speaks, he uses Scripture. And he quotes from the Old Testament that all Gentiles are called by My name, says the Word of the Lord. And here we see that, that when we are in discussion and, and discernment, that we, we take what God has shown to us and what our experience is, and, and, then, and then we infuse it and undergird it with the Word of God. And James is not proof-texting here, nor do we as Reformed Christians in our understanding of how to use God's Word. Scripture speaks to Scripture, and we listen to the conversation to discern what it is God is telling us. We're not reading into Scripture what we want it to say, but we are listening for God's Word to be led out of God's Word, living Word for us. The Gospel shapes us. We do not shape the Gospel. And there is authority in God's Word. And here in this context, the, the, the apostles, the leaders of the church, are, are, are listening to the authority of God's Word in the context of community. And a decision is made by James and all agree that the Gentiles do not have to be circumcised to be saved. But there's more. Follow me here. Will Willimon in his commentary on this text says, converts are welcomed, but not without limits. A change was required of the Jewish Christians to include the converted Gentiles. And so too, the converted Gentiles must change for the good of their relationship and fellowship within the community. And James says they must not, be, they, they must not need be circumcised, but we will tell them that they must abstain from things polluted by idols, from blood and strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And these Levitical codes are lifted up in the letter that is sent to the converts in the Gentile world. And yes, there is grace, but there are these boundaries, these things that can be taken offense by within the community, and they are taken into consideration as we talk about respect and relationship in community. And these boundaries are not a means of salvation, but a means of helping us live in community by the authority of God's Word. And what James and what the early church is saying is, yes, there's grace, but it is not anything goes. There are lines on the court. There is a deeper inner reality that needs to be acknowledged. Paul speaks of this in his letter to the church in Rome where he says, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. 
So this conversion by the grace and the power of God is something that happens internally that is manifested externally in our lives. Circumcision is more of a physical act. Conversion is a spiritual reality. Circumcision is what one, is what one does to their body to keep the law. Conversion is what one does with their body to honor God. Conversion is about keeping, or circumcision is about keeping the law, and conversion is about surrendering our wills to the will of God and following a loving Savior with joy and gratitude. And so the letter is sent from the church in Jerusalem to the Gentile believers. And Paul and Barnabas, we are told, deliver it. And when they receive it, the authority of the church is respected. The letter is received with joy. And the Gentile converts feel encouraged and strengthened, and the whole church is strengthened, we are told. Why do you come to church? What are you looking for? I believe that we are looking for a gospel of grace to free us that we might know the joy of our salvation. I believe that deep down we are coming to, the, to church to find and follow that law of love that demands of us something much deeper and higher than the world might impose upon us. And we are called to gratefully share it, to preach it courageously, and to faithfully live this good news. Our job is to show the same love that we know in Jesus Christ and to offer the same grace that has been offered to us. Quickly, a story to close. From a dear friend of mine named Brian Black, who was an Episcopal rector in Madison, Georgia, where I served before coming to Columbus, a brilliant, talented man who was taken far too early by cancer at the age of 37. Brian wrote down many of his experiences of serving the church and growing up in the church, and the story that he tells about the church was that he was unchurched, pretty much. He didn't really come to faith until he was much later in his teen years. But he said as he's gotten older, he's realized that the church had been there all through his life. He said, when we were young, I grew up with five brothers and sisters, and Sunday morning was hell in our house. My mom was trying to zip her dress, put on her shoes, and brush her teeth all at the same time. My dad was trying to find the car keys and tie his tie and get some kids dressed. And on this one particular morning that Brian speaks of, he got into the car and he was in tears, and the family could not understand why he was crying so. He was taken to his Sunday school classroom, and he, Brian says, the last thing I remember are my parents saying to the teacher, he's all yours. And she sat me down in a chair with tears running down my cheeks, Brian said. And she asked me lovingly, now what's the matter, Brian? And he said, my shoes are on the wrong feet. And she fixed them, and it was all better. And Brian said it wasn't much after that that they stopped going to church as a family. They moved to another community, and evidently the parents said, we'll try it again. Brian's nine years old at this time. He hated church. It was boring. Sunday school was boring. The sermon was especially boring. 
He didn't want to be there. But he would sit in the pew next to a lady who would feed him wintergreen lifesavers while the two of them had their eyes fixed innocently upon the pastor. And he said, as she fed me those lifesavers, I watched her roll into a perfect ball with the tin foil, the trash that was left over. And when the offering plate came, she would put her offering in and then drop that perfect silver ball into the plate. And we smiled at each other, and it was our secret. And he loved sitting next to her, but he didn't go back to church until he was in his teen years. His hippie days, he said. My hair was shoulder length. I had on a t-shirt, untucked, blue jeans, barefooted. And so did all my friends, but we went to church. And after a service, this banker-type man came up to me, and I said to myself, okay, here it comes. But he welcomed me. He extended his hand, and he gave me a hug. And as a matter of fact, he did the same to all of my friends. And then Brian said, I've not hardly missed a Sunday since. It's where I pledged my life to my wife. It's where our children were baptized. It's where we've buried our loved ones. Why do you come to church? Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened. Take my yoke upon you, a yoke of grace, a law of love. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh.